the night that he came home. That night, he tore a bloody rampage through the world of cinema, and suddenly, trick-or-treating was lethal again. His name was Michael Myers, and the night was Halloween. Welcome to Filmstrip and our Halloween retrospective series. Here to protect you from the clutches of Michael Myers or the Silver Shamrock Corporation are Brian. More fancy talk. And Jay. We are talking about evil on two legs. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the Halloween films. It's time to Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And this is our review of Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, starring Donald Pleasance, Danielle Harris, Wendy Kaplan, and Don Shanks. Directed by Dominique Othen and Gerard. Released in 1989 on a budget of $3 million, grossed $11.6 million at the box office. So, you're watching the behind-the-scenes stuff on this, you hear the stories about Halloween and everything, everyone will tell you, Drunk off of the success of Halloween 4, they rushed into this one big time. So much so that they started shooting this in May of 1989. Brian didn't have a script, didn't have it totally finished, <laughs> kept changing actors out, and they released it October the 13th, 1989. Like They wanted this thing out fast because Mustafa Khan, the executive producer, said, okay, we got to hit back again with part four. I want to do one of these every year. Get cracking. That's crazy. And, and he has since admitted publicly, or did before he died, rather, that that was a bad idea. They should have waited a year. Given it another year to work on it, they might have had something here. But uh, we'll get into that as we go, I suppose. But Halloween 5 is a real... Oh, no. It's a, it's a different take than what we got last time. It's mm-hmm. a very... Uh, it continues down some of the same path that was set up, but also starts us down a very long and winding road. <laughs> so yes, the least. yes. This, I would say that uh, it had promise because it did pick up right where we left off before. And then, yeah, everything goes pretty much to hell. <laughs> it is a, a, a mark of horror franchises. And it's something to note that in 1989 is where the traditional slashers really hit the skids. You know, Jason went to Manhattan. Freddy did that awful part five or very weird part five in his series. And then you had this. And I, this changed slasher movies. This really killed it. You know, like good horror historians will tell you, this killed what we knew from the 80s slashers. Like it wasn't really until Scream brought it all back several years later that any of these franchises ever stood another chance. I mean, they released more sequels to them, but none of them did anything like they had in the past. People just moved on from these things. The audience had changed, and they haven't seen this. I mean, like, you can understand why. I mean, <laughs> this is, and, and I remember... Because I, you know, I saw this one when it came out on video. The same time I saw Part Four, I rented both of them at the same time and watched them back to back. So I, I don't, I don't have any memory of this in the theaters. I was too young to go see it at the time. So I remember you know, renting it again when I was a little older and watching this. And I'll say this: this film holds a unique distinction for me in Halloween fandom. Watching scary movies and stuff like that never bothers me, never freaks me out, anything like that. But anytime I watch this film. I always get a little bit of a creep factor from it. There's something about the way parts of it are done that are really effective in, in invoking some of that uh, real creepiness to it. So mm. it, in that respect, this one works even better than maybe the, the first one does for me. No. But, but, but I would never hold it in the same regard. I mean, it's not even close to the same story. No, I, I would hope you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. 
Go ahead and give us the plot summary, Brian, then we can get into this. All right. Picking up directly where the previous film ends, we see that Michael surviving the gunshots and then falling down the mine stumbles upon a hermit who seemingly takes him who seemingly takes care of him for a year. One year later, and showing signs of a metaphysical connection to Jamie, Michael tracks Jamie to a local child mental health clinic. Along the way, he kills Rachel and several other unsuspecting people. Finally exasperated from his seemingly endless chase and using the girl as bait, Loomis manages to lure and capture Michael back in his old house. The film ends with Michael being taken into police custody, only to be broken out of jail by a mysterious stranger, all dressed in black, who blows up the police station in a hail of gunfire. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Tell me honestly, being you know newbie to all of this, did you ask yourself at any point, how did we get here <laughs> during this film? Because this takes a lot of turns. Yeah, what I honestly asked is, uh, was the was the Dark Tower so big at this point that they needed a character, to, the gunslinger, to come out in this film? Because that's, th- that's what it looks like to me. I have never thought of that before, but that is an interesting comparison. Yeah, the truth is, the writers didn't even know what that was. They just put that in there so they would have somewhere to go because they had been told by the studio, hey, we're going to keep making these things, so you know, put stuff in there that you can follow up on later. So they thought, well, let's just have this guy walking around in these you know, Bon Jovi boots or whatever and doing stuff. And I want to say this now, and I will post a picture of this to prove it. My <laughs> wife hates these things. I own these boots, Brian. And wow. I don't own them because of this movie, but I have a pair of black cowboy boots with the Roach Killer, you know, uh, stainless steel tips and all that stuff on them. I have these boots, and I still own them. And yes, occasionally I do wear them. Now, no one knows what they're from. I don't even know why I ever bought them, but I know I have them. And so I, I will post pictures to prove. But I can't watch this film and not think about that. And in fact, <laughs> my wife, when she was watching these with us, she was like, "Is that why you have those boots?" <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you're like, no, honestly not. <laughs> yeah, no, really, really it's not, but it's a strange coincidence. But yeah, the man in black, all that stuff, yeah. I don't, they again, they didn't know what that was. They just needed something. You know, uh, because why? The, because by the time you get to the fifth part of the series, and this was the thinking at the time is we can't keep having the same guy chase the same girl through the same neighborhood. We gotta give it something. And whenever you get to that point is when you get into needless backstory. This happens with every horror franchise of the time. And you know, they were not immune to it. This is where they where it was going, and so they they needed to invent more of the backstory and to have somebody that was you know an accomplice to Michael and the thing is they didn't want to follow up on what they had set up uh, Daniel Harris came back thinking she was going to be that was going to be the accomplice to Michael cuz everybody knew he would be in it some way or another because that's you know what the producers wanted but they thought <laughs> you know they set her up as the new killer right at the end of the fourth one they even re-show that seemed scene. like it yeah yeah but no they don't follow up on that at all and so uh you know, they they give him another accompli, if you will. Yeah, I I thought the ending to part four was actually really cool, and I was very anxious to see where it led, and it led to nothing good. <laughs> She's in a mental health clinic, which you stab your foster mother, you would end up in a mental health clinic, I would hope. Or jail, but she's a little too young. But yeah. <laughs> uh, that said, uh, she's in a, a mental health clinic. She can't, can't speak. 
She has to basically write out what she wants to say or uh, play charades with you. And yeah. it's just really bizarre. She has nightmares of Michael Myers. Well, she has nightmares of stabbing her foster mother well, yeah. and of Michael Myers chasing her. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I could understand. The Absolutely. That, so. Yeah, I could too. But uh, it's kind of like, oh, I wanted to see where we were going here because, you know, whatever. I thought it was kind of fun to watch Michael Myers escape this mine shaft and everything else but uh yeah can we talk about that for a minute sure because this is this is the retconning the of convenient part four. well yeah that too okay so at the end of part four he gets shot and falls down a mine shaft and that's it like we, mm-hmm. we get an extra scene of that here where like the cops are all standing above the mine shaft tossing tnt down it and he and the meanwhile he's crawling at the bottom of it to body surf down a lake you know i'm like well that where did that happen? I, who had the TNT? The Rednecks? I mean, <laughs> where did he get all that? I, I don't remember any of that from the last time. And I thought, why Why change that? Because it's the I mean, they got all the little extra actors and everybody yeah. back to reshoot that where they're all leaning over the hole or something. I was like, what? Why do we need them to dynamite it? Why couldn't he have just crawled out again and crawled to safety? That would have I'd have been okay with that versus the dynamite. I think they really wanted to sell you on the fact that he was they believe he was dead. And just by shooting him yeah. down a mine shaft, I don't think anyone would believe that would kill him. So I think they had to do something to make it more believable that he would be dead. That would be my guess. Yeah, I I guess, but that seems like that should have been a decision in part four. I don't know. It's very strange how that goes because it's. I mean, clearly that is not like extra footage of part four that they just put back in there because the mask is different. The actor playing Michael's a different dude, totally different build this time. I mean, it's just a a different look altogether. And I thought, well, I, I don't know. It's strange, but even weirder is the fact that he stumbles upon this uh, I don't know, homeless person living by the you know van down by the river, and he doesn't kill him. He just kind of falls out in his uh, lair there. What what was that all about, man? No idea. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, he 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 get like you say. He acts like he's just torn to shreds, right? Beaten a beaten back, and, and and but I don't know. I don't get it. And what's the homeless dude got a lair down there for? Yeah, of all places. Uh, I know. And I will and say why this, does he and just pick him up and be like, oh, yeah, okay, house guest? <laughs> yeah, he, like, keeps him. You know? With the it's mask. Weird. Yeah, yeah, doesn't, I mean, well, I guess he eventually takes it off because it's hanging up above Michael, but, like, it's it's like he doesn't yeah. move him for a year. It's really weird. I do know that because I am a big nerd that in the original script, this was supposed to be, like, a young guy that was, like, this, I don't know, druid-worshipping weird you know, uh, witch doctor that was trying to raise Michael back to life or something, and that was how he was going to come back. But they they shot that and then scrapped it. We're like, nah, that didn't make any sense. And then decided to go with the, we'll just have a homeless guy that just sort of takes care of him for a while. Because you know, <laughs> that, not, that right? makes so much more sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of a weird little thing to do. And especially for a homeless guy, the homeless guy must have had a really nice little layer there because he lives there permanently for a whole year nursing this guy to health. He's got, I mean, he's got a parrot and he's got soup that he's <laughs> a making. A parrot. <laughs> I know. I'm like, 
What production designer was just having some kind of a field day here throwing this crap together? It's very weird. Right. But the whole thing is we're not supposed to pay any attention to that. What we're supposed to pay attention to is that when Michael wakes up, he's got a tattoo now, which that's new. So, you know, on the wrist. Yeah, yeah that's got to explain and something, right? He, mm-hmm. Yeah, and he, and he puts the mask on, and as he is killing the homeless dude, Jamie is having a freak out. So there is the metaphysical connection that you mentioned. That the telepathic, yeah. Like she can yeah. see everything that he does. Yep. yep. Very yeah. odd. But uh, Which is a total ripoff, I want to let you know, of another <laughs> John Carpenter movie. called. It's one he wrote called The Eyes of Laura Mars, where this woman sees all this murder happening through the killer's eyes and then realizes he's after her and you know then it's a totally different thing but I was like wait wow I guess if we're gonna we're gonna borrow something we might as well go ahead and borrow from the guy that created all this stuff so I guess I yeah <laughs> I, I I don't even know how to ex- well from, from what I've what I've been told that is the was the director's choice to go with that to have her and him have that mental link I, that he felt like that's what they were alluding to at the end of four so he wanted to play up on that and, and I guess I'm okay with that I mean mm-hmm. it, it does make a little bit of sense as to why she would do what she did uh, that they have some sort of a link there and maybe he can some ways try to control her actions I don't know but he never really mm-hmm. does that in here he mostly just kind of haunts her with what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So it's I don't like know. he's slowly getting to her, and there's nothing she can do about it. And I don't know. It's very weird his relationship with Jamie in this. Like I, you know, I get why he's after her. We've kind of already established that, but her connection to him, and even more in- inexplicable, is the way Loomis reacts to her. Now. It's well known that Donald Pleasance was not pleased with the way this movie was going. He didn't like the script. He didn't like the so so the fact that he plays Loomis incredibly pissed off. I can only read as just him being really ill because I've never seen. I mean, I've seen you know doctors and therapists that challenge their clients. I've never seen one that goes after the nine year old girl the way he does in this movie. I mean, he's in her face and constantly uses her as bait. Yeah. Yes. To try I'm and like, get like wow. <laughs> yes, very very strange angry acting by Donald Pleasant. Yeah, he was a total complete different Dr. Loomis, that's for sure. Uh this is not the Dr. Loomis that we know. <laughs> Cuz I don't think he would do it. He, he Dr. Loomis up until this point has been the kind of guy who wanted to go after Michael himself and confront him himself. Now he's trying to lure Michael with bait of a girl that he wants to kill. Uh just didn't make I, sense to me. I know it's it's strange. Like he keeps going on and on about Michael's rage and all this stuff, and it. But he's not explaining anything we don't already know. Mm-hmm. He's just. It's almost like he came totally unhinged when he saw her stabbing the foster mother at the end of the last. Well, and he kind of did yeah, at the. That, end. that was the thing that broke him. Yeah. Yeah, and he kind of did at the end of the movie too. He, he mm-hmm. did come unhinged. I mean, that it scared the yeah. crap out of him that he just you know, thought it was over and now he's got to start all over again type thing. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. but, um, I don't think it really, exp- I don't think it really explains why he becomes a jerk. No, it doesn't. It's, it's left for us to sit there and try and figure out this movie doesn't explain anything. Let's just say that now it just leaves all these pieces hanging around mm-hmm. for us to yeah. try and figure out, but it, it leaves us with, we know where our characters are. We know, okay, Michael's back now. It's Halloween Eve again, or going to be Halloween. And he's, you, 
Jamie knows he's back, and she's writing notes like he's coming for me, yep. and nobody believes her except Loomis, and he can't get, she can't talk, so he's trying to get her to you tell me where he is, and you know he's just going nuts on her and stuff. So you got all that happening, and in the meanwhile, we got to catch up with the other surviving member of the last movie, mm-hmm. Rachel. Yeah. Now I love how they write her parents off of this. They're like, "We're going out of town. You come on and go out of town with us." I'm like, "That's the right impetus." The year after the slaughter, let's not let's not be here for that. Let's let's not be here to remember that. Let's go somewhere sunny and warm and else. Yeah, <laughs> mom, then mom survived, huh? Yeah, that that's the twist is that she didn't die, and you know her and dad apparently doing pretty good. They got a, a I don't know vacation home somewhere or whatever. Maybe they're in a timeshare now. I don't know. But they're they're out, and they convince Rachel, you need to come with us. And she's like, okay, yeah. And she's debating that with her friend Tina about, yo, you want to come to the field party or do you want to, you know, go hang out with your parents? I think I'm going to go hang out with my parents. You know, that's that's what she's trying to decide to do. Yeah, no, I, yeah. And obviously, she's a teenager, so the obvious choice is not to hang out with mom and dad. <laughs> yeah, even though in the traumatic things that have happened, well, you but it's been a year, otherwise. right? I know. Yeah, a year know, in which, by the way, she doesn't seem to be haunted by any of right. Which is the amazing in this whole part. movie. She seems like it's no big whoop, you know. But she, she's also all under the impression that this guy's dead, right? Not right. coming back. And so I guess, I guess I could see a little bit about it not bothering her too much but again yeah it's a traumatic event that happened exactly a year ago you'd think she'd show a little more emotion towards it but again i understand why she would not want to go out with mom and dad she'd want to go out with her friends she's that uh you know typical horror horny teenager well and you know this time she's getting dressed in the house and i I will say this this movie actually does the stalk killing really well the when when michael goes to her house and the way he kind of stalks her you know I, I liked that. I thought that was a well-drawn-out scene, because they could have done that quick. He could have just killed her, and then that would have been it. Sure. Cause that's pretty well how he does most of the rest of the people here. But they actually gave her a little bit of something to do. You know, J- Jamie starts freaking out because she realizes Michael's in the house and is going after Rachel. Dr. Loomis calls Rachel, gets her out of the shower, and she you know runs out of the house because the dog's missing now. And, <laughs> you know, it, it all gets played off as, a oh, you're just being overly scared by the two cops. And stuff, and you know, she goes back in her house only to be confronted and killed by Michael at that point. But I liked all that. I thought that was actually well done. Yep, I thought, you know, like I said, the movie started off with a little bit of promise, right? I mean, it seemed like it was going well. It we got the kill, the kill right away, and then the hunt, right? The hunt of Rachel, which I thought was done extremely well and very scary, and I enjoyed it. Um, and then the dog thing, you know, you kept waiting for Michael to kill the dog because we know he's done that before. And yeah, he never does. And I thought that was an interesting choice as well. Well, he, he does later because later in the movie, the dog shows up. Well, the right. But, house. but he doesn't he doesn't at that moment. Right. At right. this moment, he, when, he ties the dog up, which great. And then eventually lets the dog loose. <laughs> So, but, uh, you know, the thing that, uh, was really, uh, uh, what I liked a lot was when the friend came over, this, this Tina girl came yeah. over and, you know, Rachel is nowhere, or Rachel's mom is nowhere to be seen. Uh, she's just been murdered. So he's done a really good job of cleaning up. Right. Yeah. Like he, like he, we don't, we'll learn later that he's taken her to the Myers house and stuck her in the, uh, the, uh, attic or whatever. But yeah, he's like, he's, you know, he ransacked the place 
after the cops had left and broke a, a picture, that's how she figured out he was right behind her, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, he cleans all that up. So he's a pretty efficient killer. <laughs> right? Just a big bloody sheet uh, is enough, and all the other sheets never got touched. And they're clean as a whistle, hanging on the thing. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I you got to give it that. But uh, you know, I like this whole section of the movie. I thought it was done very well. It was, it was pretty suspenseful. I thought because I was expecting Michael Myers to come out and kill this Tina chick. That's what I was expecting. Well, let's talk about Tina for a second, shall we? Okay. Do you think? Uh, do you think they like you know paid Wendy Kaplan just in speed? on the side and let her like do them before she did takes because I mean I'm not trying to be ugly but this woman acted out of her skull the whole film and if you hear her interview to talk that's really her that's her personality they just let her do that huh. as the character and I thought man this woman is nuts but moreover why is she so concerned with little Jamie like why would you care about your friend's foster sister who tried to kill her mother yeah good question because i don't recall her from uh the the fourth installment at all do you oh yeah well she wasn't there yeah, yeah so it's... all of a sudden she's like yeah. best friends with jamie and rachel and almost acts like she's a sister of jamie herself yeah i mean it's almost like she's supposed to be the chick that was in the car that picked him up for ice cream last time <laughs> that's not her and it's not the same character or whatever but it's like they're playing it like that and, and this is a horror movie trope brian i mean you know the the teenagers that survive from one slasher to the next always have a new group of friends amazingly so the next well, year that the rest of them got killed <laughs> i guess so yeah i guess you got to move on you, you know maybe they became buddies after it. Uh, I really the cheer squad together yeah but i don't know i mean you and i you and i reviewed you know seven seasons of buffy or whatever and I I actually thought, like, this girl could have been a lot of characters that got killed on, a, on, a, on an off show of Buffy, you know, somewhere. Like, she's just, I don't know, she's in a different planet, Wendy Kaplan. Yeah, she's definitely different. But uh, I didn't, I didn't really, it uh, didn't really stand out to me too much that she's just kind of a hyper person, right? Well, I'll say this. Rachel, to me, at times was a little drab. And I think she was written that way and played that way, but she she was a little kind of in between what Laurie Strode was and maybe one of the other girls from the first two movies. But this girl is a totally different personality, and in a lot of ways, it works. It she's yeah. fun to watch. I mean, you never know what she's gonna say, you know, because she has some of the best lines in the movie, and she's just being crazy. You know, I'm I'm never <laughs> responsible if I can help it. You know, and I mean, she's she's just learning to. She's but. just there for a good time, right? I mean, that that's how uh, she yeah. Comes I mean, across. she's totally there for a party, right? She dates the bad boy. What'd you make of her, her boyfriend? He's got to be at least twenty year, twenty years older than her, right? I I thought he was just kind of a real doofus, uh, the the typical uh, gearhead, right? Oh, don't touch right. my car, man! Don't touch my car! <laughs> and constantly, you know, cleaning it and shining Whacking it. Oh, it down. God. I was just yeah. like, really? Yeah. <laughs> this is yeah. pathetic. <laughs> Had had he lived, he would have grown up to be the dad from you know Ferris Bueller that had the Ferrari that you weren't allowed to. Uh, there you go. Whatever. Yeah, I mean, that's that's that. Guy. I I thoroughly enjoyed his death. <laughs> <laughs> you got the claw hammer to the face. <laughs> that looked gruesome, but yeah, I was like, was, shut uh, that dumbass up. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's let's say this now. You know, part four had a look to it that did. I don't know. In a lot of ways, it didn't really even feel like a Halloween movie. This one feels like a Halloween movie. It's not the same DP or anything, but this director and these people—they went through some some 
uh, links to make this movie look good. This movie looks good for what it is and for the cheap budget it is. I, the kills in this are pretty amazing, mm-hmm. and the the photography work is good for a movie that's mostly in the dark. Yeah, I thought it was good as well, and they did. I mean, they even the. I guess it is kind of mostly in the dark. I didn't really think about that because a lot of the beginning is in the bright. Uh, outside and everything. But yeah, I thought they did a very good job with this. And I think that the, the kills were much better than what we've seen so far in this. And you know, definitely more gruesome, more gross, but, uh, yeah. done in a good way. You know, there wasn't too much blood. It was just more of a, yeah, that would hurt like a lot. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, yeah, him, the know? way the way people are killed. Yeah. You know, Rachel gets scissored in the sh- in the chest, basically. And that was supposed to be in her face, apparently. And the actress was like, "No," nah. ah. so they, they changed it for her. You know, Wendy Kaplan gets knifed to death later. The, another girl gets hit with a scythe across the head. Yeah. One guy gets pitchforked in the middle of climax. You know, I mean, you get some pretty God, gruesome deaths. Th- you get yeah. a cop gets his head ripped off. I mean, there's. There's some gruesome deaths in this movie, and and mm-hmm. Mike gets the uh, the you know claw hammer. Oh no, those are like a garden tool. It was a garden hoe, a yeah. Shrub. Yeah, it gets a garden hoe to the face. You know, God, two yeah. in the eyes and one in the forehead. I was like, that's pretty. That's pretty awesome, mm-hmm. right there. Yeah, so. I thought they did a very good job with the kills in this one. They make them semi unique, you know, and and all different, but very right. yuck, gross, gruesome, and stuff. So I liked it. Well, and that, yeah. Yeah, they definitely played with the kills. And they play with the tension some here, too. I mean, we can talk about it. You know, Michael kills Mike, uh, Tina's boyfriend, then puts on Mike's scary Halloween mask. So when he picks up Tina for a date or Tina goes to meet him for a date later, she doesn't know that's him. And they do that whole thing where she's like, let me in the car, not realizes, you know, she's being asked to the killer to leave her in the car. And then she does all this flirting with him and the way that they have the uh, the guy that Don Shanks is playing Michael Myers look through that mask and look at her it's just like I can't wait to get something to I can stab you with you know right. he's just psychotic it, absolutely it was but you know what for I mean I got to had his eyes shot out Michael's got a pretty psychotic look I kind of <laughs> like that I mean I yet to forget that moment to enjoy this but I can't say I wasn't entertained by that mm-hmm. and that whole tension of is he going to kill her in the car I mean you know Tina eventually dies, but there's about six other moments where she could have got it, and they play with us on that. It's a lot more cat and mouse this time. It is, and it makes you wonder why. You know, why did why was mm-hmm. he so hesitant uh, to not kill her in the first place? Because yeah, you're right. She she escapes death a lot in this <laughs> this film, yeah. and maybe well, it's, it's just because they needed her for comic relief throughout the film or, or whatnot. But uh, I thought it was done pretty pretty well there, uh, and she does she does get away with her life on multiple occasions until the final blow but uh yeah yeah so, i don't know i i liked the what she was able to do even mm-hmm. as crazy as wendy kaplan was she she was fun to 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 watch but you know we also have to have the random what i call the random slaughter the other two friends the blonde and the other dude that hook up at the barn party or whatever i i didn't know anything about those people i didn't care about that and i'm not even really sure why michael went there unless he followed tina there and why would he follow Tina there? He just doesn't seem to really care about her at all. Because if he cared enough, he would have killed her earlier. What? Well, so yeah, it's you know. it almost seems like he's obsessed with her in this movie. It's like she comes on to him, and then he's like, "Okay, well, I'll go ahead and kill you too." Because his purpose and goal seems to be to kill Jamie. We think, or at least that's get what to it's supposed to be. Way. And then Rachel as well, right? I mean, right, Rachel, right? Because he takes Rachel out first, and then 
Jane. So, Correct. Or maybe he knows that you know what he's doing to her psychologically is just as good as killing her, and so he's savoring it. I don't know. It's very strange. Maybe he thought, uh, maybe she made him feel a little human, and he didn't like that. Uh, uh, you know what? They they do play with that later on. We'll talk about that in, in a little bit, too, when we get at the climax. But so, that's an interesting point. That, it's possible. That. I mean, otherwise, yeah, I don't know why he would obsess over her, of all people. Yeah, But she I, also I is close to Jamie, so maybe that has something to do yeah. with it as well. This is true. This is true. She is close to her, and he, she gets in the way. I mean, ultimately, she dies because he's chasing Jamie through a field, and she gets in the way of the knife. I mean, that's how Tina buys mm-hmm. it. So, I did like the the bit where they. You know, I wondered uh, the first time I saw this: Are they going to play Jamie as mute the whole movie? Because that's getting really annoying. Yeah. And well, luckily, about about halfway through it, they drop that. Like they they have a good way of dropping it too. He starts. Uh, it's when he's in the car with Tina, and you think maybe he's about to make the move or whatever. She gets out to get some cigarettes, and he's in the car, and then all of a sudden. Uh, Jamie at her little Halloween pageant freaks out and th- starts talking again. And they like these swarm of cops that arrive at the at the uh, convenience station. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. I, I, well, I, I'm. They kind of played throughout the whole film that she was starting to get her voice back. Right. She could say little. Th- she could say nothing at first. Then she could say little mm-hmm. parts of words that people can make out. And then she could say one of many words and things like that. So, and then they had that kid that was her friend who could basically understand everything she said, which was <laughs> yeah, the, okay, the little interpreter, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he understood everything she said, no problem, right? He got it. Yeah. Uh, I was glad that they weren't going to keep that because that was rather annoying. Uh, but you're right. They did it a good way to, they, they had a good way of getting her to start talking again. And it was needed because she needs to communicate to us uh, what's going on with, in her mind too. I mean, all we know is that she can kind of sense or s- has visions of what Michael's doing. So she knows almost mm-hmm. always where he's at or what he's doing, which I think is right. fascinating. So she's got to be able to, explain that in this film and so yeah i was i was glad they took away the mute thing after a while well yeah and that's what loomis has been wanting the whole time is tell me where he is tell me what's going on and now she actually can so they go and they get tina and tina shows up at the mental clinic no everything's cool and then she gets the cops to give her a ride to the party which i was like okay that's interesting but first things first though you know the old uh, the police chief is still around the one from last time and Loomis is talking to him, and he's blowing it off like, no, we know he's dead or whatever. And Loomis gives him like this huge guilt trip about it. And then Loomis seems to like be able to command the police force at will. <laughs> you know, like I'm like, when did that happen? Like this dude has got all kinds of new jobs. He's running well, his clinic now. He's <laughs> commanded the cops. Let's just what say is- that the <laughs> history behind Loomis, they probably just know when he's in town, <laughs> something bad's happening. Just give him the ropes, right? <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I guess so. <laughs> because I mean, every maybe time after he all shows these... up, something not good. Yeah. Not good. Maybe after all these years, they were like, yeah, you know what? Maybe we should just let the old boy have his due. But... It doesn't take a whole lot of convincing for him either, right? I mean, No, it really doesn't. All he has to do is mention the daughter that got you know hung on the wall with a shotgun once, and that's, that's kind of it. Yeah, so yeah. it's, I don't know, it's an interesting take. But <laughs> uh, Tina gets taken to the, the party by the cops, and then, of course, Michael shows up, and... 
he kills the bumbling cops and he slaughters the two girl, the two people in the barn. Which I want to tell you, man, you know, I haven't seen all the Friday the Thirteenth movies and stuff. That felt like something right out of a Friday the Thirteenth movie. It felt very, very not Michael. Just the random killing. Like everybody he's killed, he's had some sort of contact with along the way, or they've gotten in, in his some way. way. Or they've gotten in this way. These people don't seem to. They're they're just trying to get it on in the barn. I don't I don't get what they were doing in his way there. I I didn't understand that. Yeah, I didn't quite get it either. But again, we go we go back to that teen sexual uh, thing that drive might drive him nuts. Yeah, I guess that they're still playing with that. But at this point, that's played out. By I now, agree. Man. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so I don't know. I, I just thought, actually, really what I blame it on, Brian, is the trope of this era of horror films is, well, you got to have a kill every 10 minutes or people hate it. And that's not necessarily and true. And you have to kill, but, have someone killed for sex. Right, yeah. So at least they were having safe sex, right? I mean, you yeah. know, she does tell him to pull out a condom and the dude has one. So that was that was bold for 1989. True. So, so I, you know, so now it's yeah. unsafe sex. It'll get you slaughtered. I guess, I guess no safe too, because they, you know, he gets the pitchfork in the back, in oh, like I said, in the middle of climax. That was just is, well, <laughs> that's pretty bad, right? Well, but again, that feels like a Jason thing to do, though. That to me, I'm like, it's, I don't know. It felt very Friday the Thirteenth, and then to chase the girl with the big, you know, side thing and cut her head off. Basically, it's pretty, yeah, pretty raw. That was very, um, uh, very gruesome. <laughs> that's <laughs> that uh, that pitchfork though. Oof. It's pretty rough, right? That, so, that was I mean, wow. That and would the, take the girl some, just sitting there with the blood coming down on her, screaming mad, like. Whoa. Yeah, that, that was, would that would mess you up. Even if you survived that somehow, oh, yeah. they would. Yeah, you're. You would never yeah. probably have sex again. <laughs> Ever? No, not, not without not having with frightening images. So, no, there'd be there'd be no way to undo that trauma. I don't think that would be unbelievable. Yeah, so, so in a way, Michael whole, would put her out of her misery. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now you're making excuses. <laughs> You you have been completely turned to the dark side, sir. <laughs> if that's if that's what you're gonna say, but I do like the car chase here, though, with Michael chasing through the field, and you know, he's uh, he has the wreck on the uh, uh, tree, and they do that whole thing where you know his head's on the on the. Uh, steering wheel with the horn honking and then it stops so you don't know is he dead is he not and then of course he pops up and he's about to get Jamie and Tina jumps right in the way and gets stabbed and off and uh, you know, luckily Loomis has showed up at this point and this is where he really does the bait thing yeah. he tells Michael "You come on back to your home it'll all be there for you and they drop earlier in the film that like there's a, been a nine year old's coffin dug up out of the cemetery and I'm like oh, that's oh, I totally missed that Yes, because Loomis has this great moment where he's going like, what do you think he's going to do with that when he's trying to get Jamie to help him out when she, of course, still can't talk. And so, anyway, he drags Jamie back there with a couple of the cops and says, you just wait here and we're just going to let him come on in the door and just have you. And then then we'll have him where we want him. And I'm like, man, you, I, this is, Loomis has now flipped his wig. Like, this is, he is off the rails. <laughs> he flipped his wig a while ago. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I totally missed that coffin setup because I was like, who has a coffin? <laughs> Especially a kid's <laughs> laying, laying around. But, yeah. Yeah, very weird. I thought this was an interesting scene, though. Uh, you have Jamie getting chased through the house, and she ends up going up there and into that coffin, then laying down, uh, just kind of luring Michael to her. And then she pleads, uncle and it kind of stops him dead in his tracks 
Well, yeah, I mean, that, that chase, let's talk about that for a minute, though. She gets in a laundry chute. Oh, yeah. That you know, was, and, yeah. and he's stabbing through it up and down trying to get her. And I'm like, man, that was a good, tense, claustrophobic horror scene. Oh, yeah. I'm like, you know, this movie is, is pretty dumb in a lot of ways. But it gets the chase scenes right. The Rachel chase scene, the field chase scene, and this chase scene are all very well done. And and they're the thing that keep me coming back to the movie. Like I, I sort of check in and out of it, but when this happens, this is a great scene. Yeah. And it leads up to a very weird scene. The bit in the coffin where she stops him with the uncle thing and it it's I kind of always read that as a callback to when Laurie, you know, as he's coming at her in the surgery ward there at the end of part two, finally says his name and it stops him for a second. Right. You know, and you know, in the trailers to this film, like they build it as the unmasking of Michael Myers, as if it was going to be this big deal. And the whole film, he didn't have his mask on. He takes it off for like you know one second, and you don't even see anything. Right, right. right. And, and you just see him, you know, one tear going down his face. And I was like, well, that's kind of twisted. Like, is he yeah. sort of tapping into his humanity or what? Well, I that's think exactly that's what we're it. led to believe. It's a reminder that he has relatives, right, I mean, or family. And he's yeah. been trying to wipe out his family. So when they actually call him like his family, it, it kind of startles him and brings back that humanity piece. But he's able to shake it off pretty quick. Yeah, because when she reaches up to touch him, he just loses his mind and starts throwing stuff around because she gets squirrels out of there. And I mean, I love how Don Shanks picks that coffin up and just hurls it. Yeah. And I was like, well, that, that was pretty, I mean, that was pretty effective. And from everything I understood, they told him, just lose your mind in there for a few minutes. And he just, you know, completely goes bull in the china shop there and just totally destroys that place. But, of course, he he's already taken out the cop. At this point, he's also taken out Loomis. Let's talk about that. He Loomis confronts him and he slashes him across across the chest and throws him off the damn staircase. Yeah. I was like, well, man, is Dr. Loomis dead now? Because that's pretty, that's pretty bad. But no, he shows up and drops a chain that he's had, like a chain net above the ceiling on Michael, <laughs> shoots him with a couple of tranquilizers, and then goes to town on him with a two-by-four. Yeah. I thought it was wow. uh, pretty nasty. <laughs> but yeah. it was, when that happened, I'm like, finally... You know, he's not trying to shoot him with a freaking gun that we all know isn't going to do a damn thing to him. He does, does something smart and tries to put him out, tranquilize him, you know, yeah. get him to a state where he can't hurt anyone and you can do whatever you need to do with him. So I thought it was like, well, it's about time someone did something smart with Michael. That's the thing I like about the the Loomis going nuts at the end of the movie here, or where he's nuts the whole movie, but the way he goes about it here at the end is the method of the madness seems, you know, to pay off he's tired of this chase he knows this is never going to end he's just got to get him contained somehow mm. and then he can figure out what to do with it right you know, it's this whole it's this whole temporarily shutting him down and he keeps coming back no we got to like drug him out of his skull because that was my plan to begin with way back in part one was to give him so much stuff that he can't even sit up straight in court and then then we'll deal with him and I, that was a pretty smart plan there loomis i like it but i want to tell you man tell me what you think happens there as loomis is beating him and then just sort of collapses on top of him we already know that he's gotten really old right and he's right. not in the best shape of his life and it looks like they're playing him off as being kind of sick right right so i mean he's using all of his energy to take michael and make him unconscious to get him out of there and i think he just collapses afterwards 
I see. I've always read it as like he had a heart attack or something. Like that's oh. the way it looks because yeah. you don't see him the rest of the movie. So it's and then, granted, there's only four or five more minutes. I mean, it, it just kind of looks like he did. So oh. um, I don't know. I I I I like the fact though that he expended himself basically trying to take out Michael. Absolutely. I thought that was a that was a good choice. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was a great choice, and I thought it was the right move. And then we get them taking him to the prison, and then all hell breaks loose again. <laughs> yeah. They, they, uh, now, there's one thing. They've got Michael in chains in the prison, and he's sitting there just kind of flipping his chains around. And I'm like, what the hell is that supposed to be? You know, is he just waiting to bide his time? What's he doing? <laughs> C- counting cats cradle? What's he doing? It's a very weird moment. I'm like, that was a bad choice there. They should have just had him sitting there. You know, and that would have been weird. Or had him, but, you know tied down so much that he couldn't move. I mean, Right. On. Like, they, they really just had him, him in leeway? shackles. Really? Yeah. <laughs> we know this guy's pretty damn strong. Yeah. Why are you giving him some leeway? <laughs> and he's still got the mask on. <laughs> I'm right. I'm pretty right, sure right. if you got arrested, that would be the first thing they did. <laughs> I, I would think so. I would think so, too. Yeah. I don't know why they left it. I guess it's because it's the that's just this movie. But but what happens at the end? The man in black shows up, puts out a cigarette with his awesome boots, and then gets a machine gun and just blows the hell out of the, the police station, right? Like, you walk in there, it's almost like in the first Terminator movie, the way that the police station is totally ransacked. And Michael, of course, his cell's blown up, and he's gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? <laughs> <laughs> what That's what I was going to ask you is, is what, do you, what do you think happened? Because I know, but I, I wanted to hear from I you. I have no effing clue other than this this gunslinger <laughs> wannabe has now come in to rescue Michael. Yeah. What the hell? And, and well, yeah, and I, you know, I, the truth is, nobody making the movie knew. They thought, well, we'll just leave it with that, and then next people, that's your problem. Wow. So, <laughs> to, to figure out, I mean. And worst and, ending yet. <laughs> well, most inexplicable one. I would I would agree with that for sure. So, well, Brian, we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to get final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So, what are yours for Halloween Five: The Revenge of Michael Myers? All right. So, the the like we've talked about the photography, the video, the everything, the gore factor, and the kills are all done supremely well here. Very good. Uh, much better than pretty much anything we've seen in the Halloween series to date. But the storyline is so, so stupid and so poorly done. And it just, it felt like a very big letdown from the end of, of part four, right? I mean, part four, you felt like, wow, this is great. You know, Jamie's going to become the new Michael Myers or a sidekick or something or be involved in how he comes back. Who knows? You There were questions that you're like, well, how are we going to do this? And then you get this. And it's like, oh, that's all? This is what we have? <laughs> and so because of that, I just to me, this is a small popcorn. It wasn't very good. You know, I love the gore in this, and I thought they did a good job with that, but that can't save a, a very poorly scripted movie. Your favorite character, do, characters of Dr. Loomis is really boring in this one and kind of a jackass. And that's not how Dr. Loomis has been at all in this. I mean, he's he's been the vigilante going after Michael Myers. In this one, he's kind of like hoping Michael comes to him so he can do some damage to him, but doesn't really know if he can. <laughs> so I just thought it was a a bad one. I didn't like it at all. 
I'll say this about this one. For all the things I do like about it, and there are a few moments and stuff, I can't defend it to anyone. It is ridiculous. And it is the point when this thing starts to really go off the rails. And we're only getting started with that. All of the all of the problems of this movie, though, are to blame on the fact that they rushed it yeah. into production. Now, again, if they had taken more time, would it have been any better? Who knows? I think this director's pretty competent. I thought he did a, had a good vision for it. He co-wrote the script because he got the script and rewrote it, essentially. So he got credit for it. I, he, I mean, he did a pretty good job with it. And I mostly like the way Michael did the stalk killing in here. Yeah. But again, there's so much of this that just vacillates between really cool and just really stupid that it makes it hard to enjoy this film as a whole. So I, I can't give it a pass either. I mean, it's it's not very good. It's definitely the weakest one of any of the ones we've watched so far. So small popcorn for me as well. Even as a fan, I can't tell you this one is, <laughs> is redeemable and much. But I only know where we're going next, and I cannot <laughs> wait to talk about... Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers. That's going to be, a, that should be a really interesting discussion. So, <laughs> folks, join us in this next episode at uh, for Filmstrip. You can find all of the past episodes of this series and other ones at our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. You can also, on the Continuous Play main page, find links to all of our other podcast features, The Art of Slang, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective, The Fabish Factor, hosted by Kurt Fabish and several others, where they talk about films and television and all kinds of different topics, and then Brian's podcast Squared Circle Flashbacks, where he goes through the yesteryear of WWE Network and all the pay-per-views of WCW, WWE, and uh, the past, and talks about those things. We got a little bit of something for everybody there, so uh, hook up with us on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what you think of the shows. We appreciate your support. Until next time, for Brian, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to our Halloween retrospective series. What's the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes, like our Facebook page, and visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies, for more episodes. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of its respective owners and is used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504, C2. Title 17.